Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Dead Cat. It's Tom Dotan here from Insider, joined by Katie Benner of New York Times and Eric Newcomer of Newcomer. Uh, we've got this week Alex Heath from The Verge on to talk about the state of the union of social media. Uh, Heath wrote a piece the other week about how Zuck is cracking down on all the lazy fat cat rest investors at Facebook. Um, and that piece also came out around the same time that Meta had its or I'm still not good at saying Meta versus Facebook. Uh, Meta had its earnings, uh, which were not great. Uh, you know, quarterly decline, Q on Q decline in revenue, not a good place to be for uh, a supposed growth stock. Uh, and then also the bigger story was that Instagram uh, was rebuked by its shadow chief product officer, Kylie Jenner, and the whole Jenner Kardashian crew, also not great. Uh, uh, and the FTC is suing them to stop its acquisition of a VR company. So Heath is going to be on to talk about all of that. And then also because Heath is on and I've just plagued Eric and Katie anytime I have the opportunity to, uh, we should talk about Snap, which had like a, <laughs> a near-death experience, uh, as one analyst said. But it had shit earnings. Its stock is trading near all-time lows. Um, so that's, uh, that's the mess over there with, with Snap. Um, but before it's wild. We- the highs and lows of Snap. Like, it's hard to understand yeah. how, I mean, talk about uh, sort of a critique of the efficient market hypothesis. I, I don't, I'm interested to understand how it could be as wild as it's been. I don't anyway. think Snap knows what to make of not only like its stock price, but itself. Like all of it just seems to be a mystery <laughs> to the company. But before we do that, I want to shout out the composer of our theme music, Young Chomsky, Great synth music that we have opening and closing the show. Uh, it's from Young Chomsky's composer. He's also a co-producer on another podcast called True Anon. And he very generously let us use one of his pieces for our music. So I can't let it go without, without mention because it's been too long. Okay. Heath, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Thank you. So, okay, where, where, where should we start with all of this? Uh, let's just go high level with the with the earnings, just because we are in the midst of earnings season, and you know Facebook has been you know eating shit uh, over the last six months. They're down like fifty percent. Nothing that jolts listeners out of their seat more than let's talk about earnings. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, nothing jolts listeners more than learning fifty percent of their. No, it's good. It's good. It's important. Uh, substance. Eat, eat your carrots. Let's understand the business before we just uh, argue about what our feed should look like. Yeah, yeah. No, t- t- tell me what I should take away from from uh, from Zuck's earnings. What should you take away? I guess the headline was they had revenue declined year over year for the first time ever. I thought what was really interesting about that was, though, that uh, they said if it wouldn't have been for currency conversions and headwinds there, which means you know the dollar obviously has gotten a lot stronger relative to other international currencies, um, they would have had a four percent revenue growth. Uh, so they like, I, I thought that was a pretty interesting call out, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not doing great. They're, they're, they're in the, they're in a hard, hard period right now. And this is basically because of, I mean, there's still the overhang from Apple's privacy changes that limited their targeting ability. I mean, just the general recession yeah. fears, I mean, which, which is it? It's still Apple. I, it's mostly recession ad budget right now i would say it's like 40 percent apple on top of that Uh i think it's hard to parse the two out with facebook in particular and see exactly how bad just the the macroeconomic stuff is relative to just the apple stuff they're actually waiting internally for i think the first year of the full apple 
we're, when we're talking about Apple, we're talking about the prompt on your iPhone that says, do not track me. Um, that cost Facebook $10 billion last year, which is the same amount they spent on the metaverse. Um, and they're waiting until a year of that has been fully out in the world of that prompt being out in the world, uh, uh, before they kind of do a full assessment. So they don't even really know internally how bad Apple has been relative to just what everyone is experiencing. Facebook was a trillion plus dollar company, right? And now it's worth four hundred thirty point six billion. Yeah, but like so was I mean, what was Zoom? I mean, <laughs> there were so many companies that were right. just these astronomical valuations that yeah, everyone's just kind of coming back to Earth and I think Meta's no longer it's no longer a growth stock anymore. That's really the problem, right? Is mm-hmm. that um they're they're not growing and they still make a good amount of profit. So Yeah, Katie, up. isn't that your expertise? You were big on when Apple sort of switched from being a growth stock to a, a value stock. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is that Apple kind of got the market used to the idea that it wasn't going to be a growth stock. Whereas with Facebook, they continue for reasons that I'm sure Alex knows more um, vis-a-vis the psychology of the C-suite. The company itself seems to not be able to reckon with the fact that it either needs to start talking about itself as a stock that's not going to grow, but will throw off value because it's a communications company, because it's as essential as a telephone company or whatever news story it would want to tell. And for all these regulatory reasons, those stories seem somewhat unappealing. Or it has to convince the market that it's going to get a next huge spurt of growth akin to what happened in the switch to mobile and that it will be just as powerful. And I think that's why they're pegging so much on the metaverse. But I don't know, Alex, what do you think? Like, why do you think the company isn't willing to start talking about itself in kind of a new a new way? Well, I think they were until about uh, the beginning of this year. So uh, <laughs> I've noticed Zuckerberg kind of reorient it back to the present, whereas for like the pandemic, he only wanted to talk about the future and about the growth stuff and the metaverse stuff. And the rebrand was done really right before the market went into free fall. Like it was really at the end of this like two year bubble we were in, which is just kind of an interesting. It was at their apex. It was like he was able yeah. to evolve into his final form because he was so <laughs> powerful. Was the height of his powers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or is it like a Cronenberg movie, kind of? <laughs> like the yeah, fly. I am becoming. I am becoming meta. <laughs> and it's like with the stock price, you can track his public comments shift into like actually talking about the the current business more and talking about actual like. So he didn't he didn't want to talk about like social media for two years, like which is the company's business. Like it it was all metaverse all the time. Keith, let's take your temperature as a proxy for <laughs> Facebook. Because last time we talked to you, you were extremely bullish yeah. about Metaverse. Like, uh-huh. are you uh, reining that in tactically, <laughs> seeing a uh, sort of shift in strategy from Facebook? Or you're still pretty no, optimistic? I'm still, I'm still bullish Are you on flip-flopping? That's why you're <laughs> asking. Uh, no, no. I'm still... I think the headsets, like what I was saying in the last episode, are about to get really good. I think the problem with Metaverse is that no one gets it and no one wants to like think it's potentially going to be something because like the it sucks right now. Like Quest is like not a great experience. It's not something you want to. It takes twenty minutes. But you think the headsets could be good? Facebook could make a lot of money off them at in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think if the I think if the headsets and the interface and the battery and the resolution and just being able to like actually interact with people gets a lot better in these things, I do think people will use them. I think I think it will become inevitable to a degree for for certain use cases not for everything i love the real world i just think yeah we're not gonna do a whole metaverse fight i just am curious how much 
they're going to back away. Uh, I think this has like moved the goalposts farther out where now they're thinking he's being a little more clear saying this isn't going to really be a thing for us until the end of the decade, which is like, okay, how long but what can you signals? Why would you do that? Unless like, like what signals was he getting about its evolution that caused him to push it further out? I don't understand. Like there hasn't been that much that's changed between now, then and now other than its stock price and like a continuing decline. Like, why would you suddenly like renege the tech on just your not being ready? They keep thinking that Apple's been the same way. Apple first thought, their first headset was going to come out like two years ago. They all, these companies just are so, so over optimistic about how fast the tech will progress. And Zuck has been pretty clear that this is like the hardest technical problem uh, that exists right now. It's like building a compelling, uh, lightweight pair of AR glasses. So yeah, they're all in that camp. I guess you don't want to be the guy in, you know, the labs to tell Zuck like, yeah, we're not even close, dude. I know a couple of months ago we were kind of telling you that it was going to get pretty close. Yeah, we did the we ran the numbers again. Uh, resolution's bad. It's not going to be good, man. I, I mean, I, I I kind of feel for them, but again, I don't see why this was a new revelation. Like, There's an element of-, of this where because this is Zuck's baby and his pet project, what I've heard is that you know. It's like, and there's been other reporting on this, even at Apple and other companies is like the demos that get given to these executives internally are like, <laughs> they're as dumb they're, as reporters are. They're vapor demos. What was it? Yeah. Or they're just yeah. like, demo you, you know, people, it can, yeah, it can be hard to have people tell you how it really is. Um, when you become someone like a Mark Zuckerberg or, but Tim also Cook, when right? you start running the company in such a way that people are afraid to tell you how it is. I mean, that was one of the interesting yeah. things about the story that you wrote, um, about the all hands meeting that, you know, Zuckerberg used to be far more involved in those meetings and yeah. far more willing himself to take harder questions. And he's sort of like created a world in which he's insulated himself from both hard questions and annoying questions. Um, and so how do you tell us, how do you be honest with somebody who's created that structure around themselves? Well, it's two sided because I would say, yes, he has insulated himself uh, as the company gets bigger, but the questions themselves have also changed like the the way that the what what is on employees mind and that's that's really the main reason I wrote the story is like in the last two years the employees have really shifted it's all about perks and about like are there going to be layoffs and are we going to have extra vacation days like the stuff that gets filtered up to him in all hands is not like strategy and like big picture well, they're they're activists but for their own quality of life and well I think it it just goes to show like where big tech is at. I think it's the new Wall Street. It's the new cushy place where you can go and get paid a lot to not work that much. And yeah. there's and this the whole meme. And the perks were never as good on Wall Street. Right. And at least Wall right. Street pretended you came to work yeah, super that's hard. The thing. Like, they, they took away their free lunches. They took but away like, their... But mis- like the perks were not that good. <laughs> right. The money was good. The money was good, but the perks were the expense account. Facebook gave you free bike parts and laundry and dry cleaning and bus rides. And And they took it all away. They took it all away for like the promise you could live in Chicago, you know, and still work for Facebook. Um, So can I read a quick section from your article? Because this really gets to the core of it. Uh, And also, your article pissed me off. Uh, not like the way you reported or the writing, but I, uh, I I was a little a little angry about the way Zuck handled himself through throughout all of this. All right, all right. So here so here's a two two graphs. Um, this is a question from one of the uh, people at the All Hands. Hi there. The first pre-recorded employee question started. I'm Gary, and I'm located in Chicago. His question: Would Meta Days, extra days off introduced during the pandemic, continue in 2023? Zuckerberg appeared visibly frustrated. 
Uh, all right, he stammered. He just explained that he thought the economy was headed for one of the worst downturns that we'd seen in recent history. He'd already frozen hiring in many areas. TikTok was eating their lunch and would take over a year and a half before they had line of sight to overtaking it. So this is like what sets Zuck up to like his, I don't know, like Wolf of Wall Street like tirade against his employees for being lazy. <laughs> well, okay, before we get into my opinion here, like tell me, tell me, so is this the first time anyone ever asked Zuck about a perk? I thought these all hands are famous for people asking about like, why did you take away the M&Ms in like the lunchroom that were like previously stocked, you know, to, to no, the here's, No, here's what happened. So this was, this was an incredibly unusual all hands. Like, like a Zuckerberg doesn't do them all the time anymore. So whenever he does them, it's kind of notable anymore. They're usually very scripted, very like he just walks through like what they announced externally, like in the previous week and says he's excited about it. It's really like become so buttoned up because, I mean, people like me leak it all the time. And then what happened this week was he showed up and I really don't think they knew he was going to go into the kind of rant that he went into where he spent the first 15, 20 minutes basically saying like, yeah, realistically, there's a bunch of people who shouldn't be working here and I'm going to make it so that. And I'm gonna make just it so, saying the thing everybody already yeah, knew. Yeah, <laughs> the quiet part out loud. And realistically, I'm going to – and he was saying like, look, I'm not going to do layoffs necessarily. I'm not going to rule them out, but I'm just going to make it to where you self-select out, and that's right. okay with me. Like and you, so he, Gary. Even worse, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to squeeze you so hard that you don't want to be right. here I'm just going to turn up the heat. going to be a lot of dead frogs in this in this pot of water. <laughs> yeah, so, so – and then – I could because I I saw the recording of this and like even like the internal comms person who's like the person who transitions the meeting into the different sections is like visibly like you could tell they did not know he was going to like go into this mode. Right. Put the and fear they, of God into him. You've got to surprise people. If you're, and then they have this pre-recorded thing teed up. These are highly produced like right. graphics on screen. Right. Like Again, thing. how can you be honest with anybody at the executive level when this is your like point of communication with the employees? Anyway, continue. Yeah. And, and well, I'm just saying it was, it kind of threw poor Gary under the bus because, you know, it was pre-recorded. He's a, rec- he's a recruiter. So he, you know, this is actually, we know Gary is real. Do we know Gary is a real person? Gary is real. He was a meme internally. There were like polls internally about like Gary for CEO. They should um, publicly and, fire this guy. Like, you know, and like, uh, exactly. Tim Armstrong did what? that once. Is it AOL. Mary Poppins where they take the guy's hat and they turn it inside out or whatever? They yeah, do. Yeah, well, I'm more like there. Shirley Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, there is like just a cinder somewhere like in, you know, North River, Chicago, where Gary used to be because Zuck like tried <laughs> to pull his like Darth Vader force like maneuver on him. Yeah. And then he asks about, he has this pre-recorded thing about the vacation days and yes. Zuck is just like flabbergasted that <laughs> A, this was asked, but B, that his team probably had this queued up and didn't like adjust on the fly. He, he wants, the, the, just to be clear, the employee wants to have like the extra vacation days they got because of the pandemic being terrible. Also, they or, they worked in Gary worked in recruiting, so so it was like he's he has to like to talk people. to people about this. right. This is like <laughs> it's a practical question. It's not just self oriented. I see. It's like oh yeah. What should, what should but I it tell was very people? unfortunate timing. And then Zuck is like, you know, based on my tone, you can see how I'll probably respond to this. And then he proceeds to say that meta days are canceled. <laughs> right. Wow. And <laughs> Zuck's like, tell potential employees, welcome to hell. You know, like, <laughs> tell them it's not going to be a good place to work anymore. Like. <laughs> 
Keep in mind, like just last year, you know, Facebook's HR team produced a video similar to the Virgin America video about, you know, like FAA's flight preparedness, all about their healthcare plans, where they did like raps and songs about like how their healthcare plan was changing. So yeah, the pendulum is fucking swung, ladies. Well, I just want to point out the absurdity of all this is that this meeting ended with a video of an executive surfing. So like he goes on this and it was, it was pre-recorded and it was already like set up, but he does this like huge, you know, talk about, we got to buckle up for intense times. And then they, they throw to this video of an executive. Which exec and why? How long was it? Like two hours long? You have to watch like, you know, like no, it was like orange. A mini, Everyone is just strapped to their chair. No, it was while, like a mini video. It was like okay. just, it was like an exec profile, but like following her surfing. Oh, oh that's amazing. That's so good. Gary, you don't get any more fucking time off. But right. she. <laughs> well, and like then people Metadays afterwards. Metadays is canceled. Here's my airfoil. <laughs> Also, keep in mind, Zuckerberg's working from Hawaii, too. Like, how shitty well, is yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> like, the employees want, like, a meta day so they can leave their, like, one-bedroom apartments in Chicago and go sit by the lake for 20 minutes. But Zuck is, like, working from his lanai in Hawaii. Well, that's, yeah, that's the uh, duality of this is, like, uh, the there's a shitposting group inside Facebook internally called Shitposting at Meta. And they're immediately, there yeah. are memes of, like, Zuckerberg, you know, hydrofoiling with the American flag and people being, like, look at this coaster and because <laughs> he yeah because there was a note that went out that really pissed people off after that where this executive at the company this engineering executive uh he posted it in a managers only group and it was like identify coasters uh put them in a list by 5 p.m monday we can't have like coasters at meta very blunt very like not how you should you know, communicate something <laughs> like this in written form. And it leaked. Someone in the manager's group leaked it on oh my blind. God. And I think it leaked to the information. Love it. Love it. People and, are very unhappy at this company. And then the executive later is like, it was a draft. I didn't mean to publish it. <laughs> and then, and then it gets we were still workshopping the term for them. We didn't, we hadn't decided on coasters yet. We yeah. Tree loaders, so, fat cats. So this becomes a meme. This becomes a meme internally. And, and, there's like, you know, because there's this new mantra inside the company called Meta Metamates Me. It's this new like what? company value. What kind of cult is this? What Meta Metamates Me? What? Wait, Metamates yeah. like primates or Metamates like? <laughs> like Metamates. Like, like you know Your how buddies. Googlers, Google employees are Googlers? Yeah. If you work at Meta, you're a Metamate. A Metamate. This is That's what like Zuckerberg told everyone. Like, yeah. this was after the rebrand. He did this big company value reset. I did oh this God. Twitter thread about it, and it was, it's, it was, it was absurd because, like, you know, they had moved fast. They had all their company values. He's like, we're going to go through and change some of these. And a new one was Meta Metamates Me. So it's like about. It's meant to be like, like we're all in it together. I guess is the vibe of the mantra, but. Now people were doing coasters, coasters, me, coasters, coasting me <laughs> and making like coasters, like mock-ups of actual coasters. Right. And that's yeah, what I was going to say. If I, if I were selling anything, it would be coasters, coasters. Yeah. So yeah, there's just, there's still a very strong, even with all the crackdown they've done internally on like com employee communication, I was very pleased in reporting this story to see that there's still a strong shitposting community. I am amazed yeah. how much open dissent there is. Like Bloomberg never had like employees memeing about like how terrible the... I, I mean, and I, there's no way banks yeah, do it. It when, is unique when, to tech. When Mike, when Mike was mayor of New York City, though, and he was El Blumbito, right? a lot was going mm. on in the mm. <laughs> Very different terminal. if you're the mayor and the public <laughs> versus well, an employee at Facebook. 
Another yes. stat in this story is that 42% of employees have confidence in leadership. So this was an employee survey that went out right My God, no wonder you're getting hands. people leaking you so much shit. They fucking hate this man. <laughs> and they never, they never understand the best this stuff. This is the best company in the world to cover right now. Yeah, they never understand this good. stuff. I mean, even like when we were talking to Emil last week and he was talking about like there were so many leaks happening at Uber at the time. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's what happens when people are really unhappy at your company. Like, right. This well, is a this, this, these leaks track to the stock price more than anything i mean Absolutely. I, we've all we've all experienced this like in covering these companies when the stock is down because pe- for people who don't work in tech which i'm sure is like no one listening to this show um <laughs> like, get a job in tech you know, or hang up the podcast right now you get yeah. you get compensated heavily based on the stock price <laughs> and you know people are looking they hired an entire company's worth of people like they started they went into the pandemic with 40 ish thousand they hired that amount in about two years so they like more than doubled and they were all working in this remote environment when the stock is at all-time highs and now they're seeing their compensation cut by like more than 50 percent and they have no confidence or low confidence record low confidence in leadership so it's just a bad combination of like zuck saying you're all a bunch of like grifters and then everyone's saying hey we don't really like you either so So it's really interesting that you say this (laughs) because like this is a little bit of a reap what you sow situation too like i remember in 2010 Basically, all of corporate America tried to recreate the this sort of like tech perk, tech lifestyle phenomenon because it's having so much trouble recruiting people out of college because they were like, well, unless we give unless we give people literally free shit, like hand over fist and give them free food and free espresso bars and all of this complete bullshit, we will never hire anybody out of a top 50 school again. And the tech industry to a company, but especially at Facebook, they just talked about how great this was in terms of, you know, getting the best work out of people. They were never willing to concede that it was just going to create an incredibly entitled workforce. And so it's kind of, and there's something very poetic about seeing that incredibly title, entitled workforce come and bite Facebook in the ass. Like, they're just like, you know what? You made this monster. Right. So if, if you want us to work for something other than free shit, Good luck. You created the culture of working for free shit. <laughs> and and let's also talk about what's going on here, which was that during the pandemic, the momentum swung sharply towards employees um, because there was, you know, difficulty in hiring and recruiting and attrition and all the issues that these companies were facing. Suddenly they had a, a huge amount of leverage because you could work for a huge number of companies wherever you were living in, you know, uh, or yeah, companies wherever you're living in the country. And this couldn't stand. This, you know, this aggression could not stand when it came to, you know, the executives. And so I think they see the recession as the ability to do like a little bit of a reset on their part yeah. and say, you know, that MetaMates or sorry, you know, the, the MetaDays <laughs> things that we rolled out and your ability to live in fucking Chicago, Gary, that whole thing. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And the reason yeah. is that it's your fault. And, and this is what pissed me off about, about Zuck's thing. Well, you kind of jumped me to, to it is that the employees are unhappy, too. And, and how much is Zuck himself taking responsibility for the fact that he only has 41% approval ratings within his 42. company. 42, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, important to be exact here, Tom. Um, no, I, yeah. listen, <laughs> that 1% is not a coaster, sure. <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't know what's inside his mind. I think he does think they hired, they overhired and they hired a lot of, he needs missionaries right now and they hired a lot of non-missionaries and I think that's how he sees it. And, you know, when you used to be able to just go to Google or vice versa for an extra 20, 30% pay bump, like with no effort, which was the reality of life for these tech workers for the last few years, especially, um, 
it was you had to hire like you had to lower your bar a little bit um, because like people had a lot of options and now people don't have as many options. Google's not hiring, you know, their competitors aren't hiring either. So the, it's it, you're right. The pendulum is swinging back to the management and not the employees. And I think that's what this meeting really represented. And Zuck is unique in that he's the, you know, God King of Facebook and can say whatever he wants and say the quiet part out loud. And is not really like, I think a lot of these CEOs are probably thinking similar thoughts, but they, for whatever reasons, you know, they're maybe like negotiating their next comp package with their board or whatever. They feel like they can't, you know, tussle the, you know, tussle things up too much, but Zuckerberg doesn't really care. I mean, he can, he can do whatever he wants at the company. So I think he was just ready to just say the quiet part out loud. But he's also not an inspirational guy. I mean, I think he's also kind of uniquely weak in this period because he's not the guy that can go out there and give like the Don Draper speech and get everybody rallied to work on weekends and shit, right? He's the awkward person who, I don't know what his face looked like when he was angry, but I'm sure, you know, it wasn't- Very red, very red. Maybe, yeah. But if he's he got the red, smart like, guy who's been right and everybody else has been wrong. I mean, that's the thing he's yeah. always had. He like, didn't get the like, Apple privacy people, changes everybody right, Everybody told me I was an idiot when we did this. I mean- it's sort of transitioning to our next topic. I mean, like nobody thought, feed, like users didn't like feed, you know, it's sort of like, and that's but there's the company. No, I, I can't think of one, I can think of not one CEO who's always been right. Yeah. And you could I argue the problems. Who's consistently always right. The problems they're in right now is because they didn't get a couple key things right, which Tom, you mentioned, they didn't see the Apple changes hurting them as badly as they did. They had plenty of opportunity to see that they were kind of like in denial for a while and they also didn't see the tiktok threat right. until it was arguably too late so yeah right. he does see around corners in certain key moments but i think they're in the position they're in right now because for whatever reason maybe because he's in Bring the metaverse and he is, back from hawaii this is this is the new rallying cry he's asleep at the wheel <laughs> no he more needs to come back get to california i think it's no i think it's a matter of focus he's definitely not asleep at the wheel like he's been super dialed in based on everything I hear to like a kind of like stressful degree for people who are working on projects he's interested in. But the problem is, is like the projects he's been interested in are not making the company money and they're not, they're not going to save it from the current environment that they're in. It's all like very future leaning right. stuff. Which is why I find it really frustrating for him to be chastising coaster fat cat employees for not pulling their weight when, you know, he missed the Apple privacy changes. He didn't anticipate TikTok. The Instagram thing was a fiasco, which we'll get to in one second. And he's trying to get people inspired about this completely vague metaverse thing that it's not clear anyone really wants. So I just, I find it, it's a little rich for me, Zuck. It's a little rich for me. So I am taking your buyout offer. Uh, uh, Mark, I am not staying at Facebook any longer. Tom's out. I'm gone. I'm gone. You can you can see me walking along Michigan Avenue right now. Me and Gary, just hand in hand. Fuck you, hand in hand. Suck. Talking about meta days. The meta days of your. Okay, talk. Let's talk about Instagram um, because that was a really funny story. Uh, why don't you actually lay out what happened? Because uh, I was yeah. actually out all of last week, so it really was just the bits and few times that I sadly turned on Twitter. Uh, so Instagram, me about, yeah, tell it. Yeah, Instagram has been testing this redesign that looks and works like TikTok, and people were starting to get the get in the AB group, you know, for the test. They were planning to originally make it available for everyone in October. It's full screen, right? Isn't that I full seen screen, it. swipeable video, you know, and just a huge departure. The whole from, app, not just reels, correct. And people obviously didn't like it. And the other reason beyond the interface is that part of this redesign is a lot of what Facebook calls unconnected content, which is just content that's not from people you follow. 
So a lot of that is getting put in, which is also TikTok, right? That's TikTok, you know, TikTok's for you page is like, you know, hardly what you follow, if at all. Kylie Jenner, who, you know, leveled Snap with a tweet back in the day. Tom and I remember this well, when she hated the Snap redesign. She wiped like over a billion off their market cap. Um, she came out and said, It was you know, great seeing analysts having to put out notes following the Kylie yeah. Jenner announcement. Yeah, she yeah. was like, bring back the old Instagram. You know, it became this like meme. There was a, there was a like a... Uh, petition, you know, all it reminded me of the snap redesign blowback. Which didn't didn't she say something about it being for family or something? Which seems she's just totally like, I want to see photos from my friends, which is like, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> like, come Kylie, on. That's like that not, was. She's, most... I, I think she's the second most followed Instagram right. account. She has like over three hundred million followers. Right. I'm like, come on, I, I don't like so dumb. Brands are our friends, Eric. You as a, as a millennial should know this. I mean, if you're a celebrity, I understand you built a lot of time and money into getting a huge follower base of people to see your stuff. And all of a sudden the company is deciding that they want to show people other things and that's going to hurt your reach. So I can see why celebrities would be mad about this, but she was mad. And then what was happening simultaneously is internally, this test was just performing horribly. It was just tanking engagement metrics, ad revenue. And so they paused it. And Adam Mosseri, the head of Instagram, did an interview with Casey Newton on his wonderful newsletter, Platformer, and was like, we are, you know, the tests have not been good and we are going to reevaluate this. And what's not changing is the unconnected content part. So you're still going to be seeing a lot more posts from people you don't follow in Instagram and Facebook. But the, the redesign that makes it look and work like TikTok with swipeable video, that's, that's been put on ice. So it's a major L. Major Zuckerberg posted a photo of himself with Weekend on the Lake. I just think it's odd on Instagram that Zuck is posting a photo. Isn't he supposed to be posting videos right now? <laughs> I, I, oh my God, what a fucking coaster. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that like, get, get on message, man. Put Everybody's moving to video. I mean, I don't... Can I say a couple things on this? Go. Please. You know, stories have shifted everyone to stories away from sort of the permanent photos. And I get that Facebook is a company that rides different trends and they see people having sort of better internet connections and better phones with the capacity to record video. And so they're like, okay, we need to have video everywhere. But as a consumer, part of what I like about the history of Instagram is just that the feed of photos is very like clean and high end. And part of the reason people are posting less is because they're so thoughtful about the quality of photos that they put in the feed versus the stories, right? Stories are for sort of quick fire and feed is for highly curated content. And so then that's what you're incentivizing people to create. And then they're mixing that feed with absolute garbage. And to me, that's sort of the issue here. It's like, yes, people are engaging with the core of Instagram less, but that's because they want it to be really premium. And you're taking this premium app and just like filling it with a bunch of random shit. Do you think that's a fair articulation well, of what's sort of going on here? I think you're getting at it. I think what's really happening here is that the grand experiment of organizing human communication at scale around the feed has not worked. It hasn't worked on Facebook and it hasn't worked on Instagram. And what, what, what they've observed is that posting into feed, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, has just been on the decline for a long time. So what they have is an inventory problem. So when, when your follower list is no longer posting in the feed, which matters because feed is how they make the most money. 
Mm-hmm. So they need to feed to have good content in it. Well, guess what? When your friends are no longer posting in there, they need to show you something. So they're going to try to figure it out. The problem is, is that they're way behind on AI that makes that something interesting. Whereas TikTok has shown them that like, oh my God, yeah, it's this, so good at it. It is yeah. so good at it. And they, because Facebook invented the idea of ranking based on you know, your follower list. This was the original newsfeed insight that Twitter and everyone else has since copied. TikTok took that idea a step further and said, we don't even need to know like who you're following. TikTok we'll, is we'll just, amazing. I feel like people yeah. aren't on it. Do not understand how good it is. It's serving you what you want So to Facebook is internally, Meta is reorganizing around this new AI push and it's next to the metaverse, This the most, you know, the highest like priority most money being spent is on how to build AI that no longer relies on who you follow. But this is an extremely naive thing to say. And I know sort of the answer, but as a user, why can't you build a new TikTok, Facebook? Why do you need to cannibalize the app we liked? If it's slowly dying, new apps don't work. let us new use apps that Do you remember app. Lasso? Eric, do you remember right. Lasso? I know it doesn't work. That's the answer. Or paper. No, they, remember paper? But they're basically so, going to murder the thing we like. Well, and also they can't acquire a new app either. Exactly. That have a big audience. Yeah. <laughs> they just they, tried they, that and it didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't even an app. Yeah, they can't acquire and they need to put it where the user activity is. You know, this is if they're good. The problem is, is like people are leaving the app. They're not engaging the most with it because of TikTok and they need to bring Instagram. The, the problem with all this is like, they've lost the identity of what these apps were. Right. Like Instagram is about entertainment that when they tout the video, I find it so fascinating when they're bragging about like video metrics on Facebook and Instagram, like over 50% or something of time spent in Facebook is just watching video, which is just not what Facebook was originally about. Facebook was an active participatory right. thing. And Instagram was also that. I mean, there was definitely an element of like passive lean back with Instagram. Right. Obviously, there always has been, but they've lost the particip- uh, yeah, the participatory element of this. And it's because all this behavior is shifting into private groups, chats, DMs. More content is shared into DMs than is shared into stories. More content is started, shared into stories than is shared into feed. So it's kind well, of like I didn't funneling know the DM down. hierarchy there. Is that yeah. that's so right? everything is funneling oh. yeah. So everything is funneling down into DMs. And it's because I think uh they've they've created an environment in the feed that is just not conducive to like human communication, which was their grand experiment for the last 12 years. And it worked briefly for a moment in time. And then I don't know. I'm fat. Do you guys know, have you guys heard of this idea called context collapse? Does no. this yeah. ring a bell for anyone? Yeah. It's, Tell this us. I, it's this idea in social networks where you let the graph, which is your follower list, just expand and expand and expand. And you lose a sense of who you're talking to anymore because the purpose of the app has just become too vague. There's too many people on it. These apps tend to decay when they lose their original, like, framework of what they're what they are for people. And so Be Real, I think, is taking off right now because Be Real has identified that the close friend graph, which is what Facebook used to be in its earliest days, what Instagram was also in its earliest days, no one's doing that anymore. Everyone has let their lists expand and expand and expand, and people don't know who to talk to anymore. They don't feel comfortable posting because if you have hundreds and hundreds of followers, you're not going to post your what you would post on Be Real. And you're also not going to do the highly curated thing maybe even anymore. And this is so ironic because if you guys remember the last major ranking change 
that Facebook did was called meaningful social interactions. This was mm. actually a thing that Francis Haugen called out in the in the, all the leaked documents. It was a big deal in 2018. And what they were trying to do is there was a bunch of passive, shallow engagement happening because they were optimizing for time spent. So people were just watching dumb videos. That's what was getting upvoted the most in the feed. And they were like, we're going to reorient it around to things that your followers comment on. So what did they do? They created this like flame war environment right. where the, and you know, I've talked to people at the company who had admit that this ranking change caused a lot of unintended consequences where they were actually trying to solve for an integrity problem, which is that like the engagement was super shallow. People weren't having meaningful experiences in the feed. And in doing so, they actually just hypercharged the emotions of everyone right. because they were optimizing for comments and reshares from, from your friends. And guess what? What gets and we see this in Twitter and retweets. What gets the most engagement? It's stuff that's either going to piss you off or you know like that kind of stuff. And so now they're just like screw it, fuck it. Like the feed is now just going to be like videos. Yeah, I think what's so ironic and hilarious about this argument is that it is being you know the argument against Instagram's redesign is being made by the person who is responsible for content collapse. Uh, because <laughs> Kylie Jenner and that whole group of influencers turned the app from something that could have been these are my vacation photos, you know, some kind of iteration of the thing that Be Real is going after into we are all celebrity ad hawkers that are trying to make a business of ourselves because our lives are, are so interesting. Right. But we should, it's not their fault. This is the company. I just did an episode, uh, a podcast episode about the history of Instagram and kind of how they wooed. Uh, celebrities onto the platform. The oh, company, that's right. They had teams of executives that they, specifically they totally, just went and trained celebrities, yes, and attracted them. We interviewed the executive who ran this program. It was a concerted, like, intentional effort to get celebrities posting on the platform. It wasn't how the app just organically happened. Right. They literally had to go convince Bieber and these supermodels to, like, post. And it was it was super intentional. The royals. Yeah. So like, right. I think it's, it's the, the fault is not of users. It's it, the company is the one who decides how these networks works and how they want the context to continue in the network and if they want to expand it or if they want to shorten it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's been the problem is that like Facebook and its quest for engagement and revenue has just widened and widened and widened the aperture of what Instagram is to where it's now this weird shopping mall meets like video meets DMs meets stories. And now no one knows what it's for anymore. No, that's like, right. that's and, super interesting because now like i feel like the mood on my tiktok is very much like celebrities aren't like you and me like it's almost because mm-hmm. the people who can get famous on tiktok aren't these like big celebrities but just interesting creators yeah, it's like random I mean, teenagers I, I, mm-hmm. right i saw one yeah. sort of charting out you know like the ellen you know that ellen selfie that was at one point yeah. sort of the epitome of like culture and it helped like that was sort of and now tiktok is like so hostile to that you know i mean the yeah. counter argument to that is like the the depth trial or whatever, but until, but is, until they get famous, right? And then they can build a business off of well, it. Well, I don't know that that's even happened to that extent, Tom. Like, that's the funny thing. Like, it was it Charlie D'Amelio? She got her reality show. So you would think she would have then made the leap into like bigger celebrity. But the reality show was basically about how much she hated being a celebrity. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, like, because very few human beings are emotionally and mentally equipped for the pressures of people staring at them all the time. It's totally fucked up. Like you can't leave the house. Heath, I ask you this question because it's my wishful thinking. Are there also, it feels like, especially because of the pandemic, there are cultural headwinds too, working against what social media has always been, this like highly curated look at people's lives. Like, and I wonder how much of um, the departure is in addition to context collapse, people just thinking, 
is it really worth my while to pretend like my life is great right now? I would say that TikTok is less fake than Instagram was. In oh, I guess that's what I mean about Instagram. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what Instagram's trying to get to. And it's kind of, there's an optimist angle to it that I've heard where, you know, maybe humans are the problem here. And when you're ranking based on how humans like interact and what they kind of like uh, opt towards, which is usually like, you know, bad <laughs> in my opinion, like in terms of like how social media has been organized, like people just, it can make people horrible to each other. Maybe if you're optimizing for just this like AI driven approach where it's just, content that this AI thinks like could be interesting for people, maybe it will actually incentivize like a healthier posting. I do think it would be good for America to obviously have a TikTok competitor. I mean, that would be the strongest defense of Facebook. Oh, you're going to go the muster. nationalist route here on what? social media. You're going to go the nationalist route here on well, well, very America. Do you think first. China is getting detailed psychological profiles <laughs> on all of us? What are they going to do with that information? Yeah. Like I that we aren't this. already doing it to let's, ourselves. Let's at go this here. Point. And even even forgetting the nationalist thing. Even forgetting the nationalist thing. It would be good for there to be competition. I think TikTok is going to be huge. Like it's only begin I mean it's huge already but it going is to just be? the beginning. Like, I know yeah, it's huge. Well, but like I feel like TV is not run by TikTok yet. You know, it's still getting there. It, until there is evidence that there has been a coordinated intentional AI like AI induced like campaign from China to like influence what TikTok recommends to people. I don't buy this argument that TikTok is like a national. Also, threat. what are they going to do with that information? You know, be like, oh, it looks like Olivia Rodrigo is kind of meaningful to a, a lot of people in, in America these days. The censorship well, on TikTok Tom, is I real. People don't even say like suicide on TikTok. There are lots of speech controls on TikTok. I think that the bigger thing with TikTok is that we actually don't know what other people see. So there are audiences yeah. outside of the United States that were seeing very pro-Russia videos on TikTok at the very same time that in America, we were seeing very pro-Ukraine messaging on TikTok at the start of the war against, you know, Ukraine. So like, I, I think that is the bigger thing is that we have less visibility into sure. who sees what. And obviously what happens on TikTok is extremely influential when it comes to public opinion. And so yeah. I think that that's why it's not it's less like a Chinese communist um, large mind control game. And just that another government may have the ability to really influence public opinion in countries outside of their own. So in a country the, where the government is willing to influence their companies very directly. Or, but even in our country where I don't think we have to worry about, C, you know, the CCP like influencing General Motors. But I think that we saw with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that an algorithm was able to very much influence how people yeah, thought right. of those two human beings outside of the merits of the legal case and then had real implications for, for example, a, you know, domestic abuse survivors all over who dare talk about what happened to them with little, you know, with, with little consideration of how much a single company um, was able to influence public opinion. And I think that's like yeah. the, the bigger issue, you know, is that what yeah. we really want happening with no insight or controls. But this is the same argument of any algorithm. And that would be a problem if the company were American too. Right. It's just yeah. that regulators would have more ability to dig in and ask 
questions, like have an oversight hearing, for example, blah, blah, right. blah. Well, yeah, I mean, don't forget, like Taylor Lorenz had that story about how like Jen Saki or whoever were like meeting with TikTok influencers so they could get people hyped about the uh, American assistance in the Right, like at the effort. very same time that like, you know, intelligence community people were like, wait, what the fuck is going on over at TikTok? It was really, it was really weird. Yeah, I, yeah. Katie, you're speaking to this unease that I think is only going to become like a more pronounced thing we're talking about in the next couple of years because like every app, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter's leaning into recommendations. Every app is going into recommendations and feed like heavy. And so when we're already concerned about, I mean, are you guys kind of, I'm kind of shocked that Facebook, given all the scrutiny it's already had, is just like, fuck it. Like we're going to just dictate everything. Our tech is going to just dictate everything you see. It's not even because their fallback for years was, well, at the end of the day, you pick who you follow. And yeah, we may like do recommendations like on the edges, but this was their, like I would hear it time and time again. And like, right. And, Blame it on the user. Like, I mean, they're is, still yeah, doing a, that. They're still saying that people are engaging with video more. And well, that argument is not fault. going to hold water when like over half of your feed is like AI recommendation, right. you know, AI totally. based, based recommendations. And so, yeah, like we're already talking about like, man, could the CCP influenced TikTok to be like, turn the dial up on this or whatever. I don't think that has happened yet, but it very well could. Like read. support Ukraine versus support Russia. Yeah. And, um, we already have that unease. We already like we are in our bones. We think these systems can be manipulated and controlled this way. And like, it's just a concern people have. This is like, this is going to be Facebook like in a year, like this is, yeah. it's going to be the exact same thing. So I don't think they fully have grappled with the scrutiny that they're about to walk into. And I hope what it does is actually clarifies the role that regulation could play on this, because I think for a while we've been dancing around what is really the crux of like, the power these companies have, which is recommendations. And now that they're really leaning into recommendations as like their business strategy, I hope that maybe we get a little more sense of like where the power actually sits with these companies. And I, I think that's kind of the core of it. When I know we want to talk about um, Snap because it's Tom's mm -hmm. favorite company ever. And, it feels, <laughs> and but I, I'm wondering, like when you look at all of these companies' earnings, Facebook, Snap, and you see, um, you know, usage drop, do you see any signs that people are just kind of turning away from social media altogether? No. Actually, what was interesting is that Facebook users uh, grew a little bit after they declined for the first time a couple quarters. And that's being attested to to time spent on video, actually. So I think the, the dumb videos are working uh, from an engagement perspective um, in the short term, but I don't know if it will in the long term. The thing is with like even Snap, it's still growing. Like the user right. base is good. Snap as a business is one thing. Like the user base is still growing. They have more users than Twitter. And a lot. Yeah. And like they're, these companies are growing their users. It's mostly like outside of the US and, and Western Europe, but it's more of a business story than it is like a user growth story. Yeah. And, and so Snap is also an interesting case here. Going back to like earlier in our conversation, we were talking about like this hierarchy of DMs to posts to mm -hmm. stories or whatever. I mean, Snap is an excellent DM tool, right? That's, that's its main usage for a lot of people is that it's a very, very good messaging app. That's not a very good business. And it's also it's also a company that has done, I think, a good job relative to everyone else with the problem of context collapse. Because if we remember what the redesign did was separate media from friends. And right. that was intentional because Snap's been, I think, fairly intentional in trying to keep your, your friends on Snap as your actual friends, not have a bunch of like people you don't know or like you know, people from high school that you don't keep in touch with anymore. They actually try to encourage you to like keep that graph clean. And so I think that's why they've, they've 
kind of had consistent growth, honestly. It's, it, that's, a, that's a differentiated approach, honestly, in the market these days. But yeah, the business is not. It still remains to be seen whether they're the next Twitter and that they languish forever trying to figure out how to have a scaled ad business or they are something different. They haven't proven that they can be beyond the next Twitter from a business perspective. And I think we saw that last quarter in a pretty big way. Yeah. I mean, that. I think actually it was last time that you were on that I brought this up and maybe sounded dumb to a lot of people, but I, I still don't understand what its business is, like what its ads offering is. And, and that's it's always a, it's been- a It's a smaller, less scaled, less advanced version of Facebook's ad business. It's a yeah. direct, Snap direct today, marketer. Just for context, is worth $16 billion. That's worth less than it was as a private company, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think its last round before it went public was around Brutal. 14, 15. Yeah. Uh, it's not the lowest it's ever been as a public company. I think it was like dipping below like five dollars a share. Yeah, uh, a, a few years back. Yeah, back in 2019. Yeah, it's not. It's a company that's public that still acts like a startup. You know, in the terms of like how it just lurches from you know strategy to strategy and like lets the business just tank for a couple quarters. And I think they just they're not running the business well yet. I think that's the biggest problem. And they're spending way too much on stock-based compensation. And, and, you know, if Facebook was IPO'd in 2012, right, and then rode this, they rode, you know, the bull market uh, really well. Snap was kind of coming in later into the bull market, but like at like even more euphoria where it was like, Evan has, if Mark Zuckerberg has just over 50% voting control, Evan has 99%. If, you know, Facebook spent this much on stock comp, like Snap stock comp is through the roof, like what they spend on stock comp. And guess what? Like the market used to be okay with that as long as you were growing and Snap has been growing. And now the market's completely changed. And it's like, no, we need to see like bottom line results. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Snap's never turned a profit. And it's, that's, that's a huge like issue going into this, next phase of the economy. And the reason Facebook, I think, is set up fairly well relative to them is they do still print money. What's so inexcusable about Snap, and I guess Twitter and Pinterest, is that ads are a great fucking business. These are a high margin business. And if you can't structure your company and, and you know, sell yourself to Wall Street in a way to build yourself a sustainable, profitable company, that's totally on you. And and I think that the companies, you know, in, in Mark Zuckerberg, we spent a lot of time talking about his leadership, we see like a similar kind of problem happening with Evan right now. I did not listen in on earnings. I don't cover this company anymore. He wasn't on there. He wasn't on earnings at all. He didn't answer one question. He was. So that's the thing, right? He apparently was on earnings, but as analysts were asking questions, he never took an answer. He just kicked it over like silently to, um, you know, their chief financial officer and their head of business. And it got to a point where I saw Rich Greenfield uh, tweeting at Evan. He'd be like, Evan, how are you not taking an answer right now? Uh, your company's stock is cratering right now. You guys are down 82% in the last six months. I was just looking. Uh, and he didn't say that. But like, that is the, that's the context here. And Evan's response was like, yeah, I'm here, but, um, you know, uh, I thought my, my deputies were doing a good job. Your point about Evan, Tom, like he's younger than Mark Zuckerberg. He's made billions of dollars. There's a lot of people at Snap who have made hundreds of millions of dollars and the company's never made a cent in profit. <laughs> and so it's kind of Uber in that way where like you need the incentives of the top to align with the needs of the business. And I'm just not sure that. Evan necessarily feels he feels the pressure and that his employees want to leave when the stock is low and he can't like hire and retain people. But we're also going to this like recession where it's going to be people aren't going to want to jump jobs really anyway because everyone, you know, all the stocks are down. So I don't know. It's um, 
I think Evan got a lot of credit for, you know, Snap's early years where they really pioneered stories and all these social formats. And they're still growing, but like, yeah, the business is just his metaverse is these AR lenses that will become shopping, ways we shop and advertising in and of itself. That's why Snap is like doing this developer platform where they're putting their camera and all these other apps is like eventually the AR lenses in those apps will be Snap ads and like they'll have their inventory everywhere. The problem is, is like, that's just not scaling as quickly as they thought. Uh, and it's hard to get advertisers to like wrap their minds around that. And advertising is a scale game and it just, you know, you've got Amazon, Google and Meta. And, you know, if they can reach the, the entire world for you, why would you necessarily like invest a lot in another platform? This is why Pinterest and Twitter and Snap and all these companies can't figure it out. You know, they can't figure out scaled ad plays. And the worse that Snap does, the less flexibility or freedom he will have to pursue his interests that are the reasons he's excited about running this company, which is building AR glasses, releasing selfie drones, all this shit that is part of, I mean, look, if Snap can't turn a profit and their stock price continues to languish, they're going to have to cut that whole team at some point, right? There will, will be, there will be no snap lab. You cannot defend a Wall Street. They're going to be spending however many tens of millions of dollars a year it takes to keep this thing up that churns out a new pair of glasses every couple of years for no profit uh, in, you know, in, in, in perpetuity. And so yeah. there is a reality to the business. We can knock Zuckerberg, but he did he did build the second largest ad business in the world that throws off billions of years, you know, billions a year in profit billions that of he can actually, yeah. Yeah. that he can, that he can use to actually, like he can, he can fund some stuff, right? Like he has a little bit of a leash to do that. Whereas like, you're right, Snap, they don't, their leash is tightened completely. And I don't know. I just, I'm waiting to see like the next act from Snap as a product. Like I think idealistically, like be real, that would have been like a snap thing, right? Totally. Because that that to me feels like a kind of like stories like conceit in terms mm. of like getting back to authenticity. And to see another company do that and for Snap to not be doing that is a little worrisome for me because I'm like, I thought that's what you guys were about as you were identifying those needs that people have. Do you think that Snap could acquire them? Would that make sense? Maybe, maybe. Because there's, I don't think that Snap is going to be barred by regulators from making acquisitions. In fact, I think regulators no. would feel like it would be a good idea for them to Facebook get bigger. Facebook actually love it. I think their investors would frown on another like stock-heavy deal right now when their stock comp is like through the roof and they need mm. to like cut it Can back. Snap right now say, okay, Eric, you want to – like could they inhale all my Instagram photos and let me just keep building my Instagram? Like if I want to get – all- Snap? No, no, no. But if it, if because so, there's no snap. way for that to work. If, what if do you somebody mean? wants to build an <laughs> Instagram rival, can they suck up with an API? All my they can't no. get my. I feel like that's where regulators most need to step in. Like I feel like oh, we you need, want you want interoperability. No, which I is don't the want reason that. we have I Cambridge Analytica data portability. I just want easy, which access. is the reason. We had Cambridge Analytica. I find this so fascinating. <laughs> I shit EU. on Cambridge Analytica. I'm perfectly consistent on this. No, no, no. Like, I'm just saying the reason that that even existed is because of data portability. Shit on Cambridge Analytica as a story, to be clear. No, as a story, as what it did, it was, yeah, we should shit on it. But in terms of what happened, like the thing people were pissed about that wasn't the Trump stuff, it was data portability. Right. So the fact that the EU is like, we're going to try to mandate data portability uh, it didn't work out well the first time. Like that was Facebook's entire ethos was we're going to be the social layer of the web and let you take your friends with you and your friend data with you wherever you go. And like we're going to be the the operating system with for Facebook your friend graph. But if I want to like yeah. defect and take all my stuff, I mean, that would be cool. Then Snap can say, okay, we're going to rebuild your main 
photo memories app for your friends here and you can take all those things and we'll where where this where that idea will actually go is like picking your algorithm so that's something twitter's working on that's something that i think facebook will do eventually where basically like you can say i want my feed to be no politics or i want my feed to be like mostly my friends with like 20 percent recommendations i think an ideal scenario is like you getting to like fine tune your feed. Everyone, I am very skeptical. Everyone's just going to pick the AI optimized feed. Like yep. it's like defaults rule of the day. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Will the companies like offer you the ability to make your own feeds so you complain less? Probably. But I, I think that's a distraction. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It's all about making money. That's what I say. It's all about making money. Agree. I, I think we need a federal bill on social media that's not about antitrust. We need Congress to actually have principles about what could be done to to make it so other companies could really compete with Facebook, and so users would have more. I of think a real companies. Choice. I think Be Real is a. I mean, Be Real is a perfect example of like the fact that this is something that is relatively fragile. I, I open up Be Real. It's all venture capitalists. It's like, it's not my friend. That's because that's it's, who's it's in your address book. It's hard to build a network. Right? It's really hard to build a new network. That's because right? you need more friends in your address book. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've you found exactly the amount of real that you're willing to accept, which is, <laughs> what is, what is Hunter Walk doing it, right it now? It is Be right Real now. Investors, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, like I don't think two things can be true at once here. You can't say Facebook is like a monopoly and like social media is this entrenched thing where no one can compete and you can't also say like Facebook is like being destroyed by TikTok and like right. like re-earning the entire company to try to compete with TikTok and be real is at the top of the app store charts and Snap is still growing and Discord is still growing. Like I just, I think social media is like, I don't know what it, I mean, you're saying you don't want the bill to be antitrust focused, right? You want it to be right. focused on what? I mean, if it's not antitrust. But, and also to your point with antitrust, like antitrust regulation is creating the conditions by which a company other than Facebook will be incredibly innovated and get to get big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric, what do you mean in terms of like what what legislation do you want to see on social media? It would be great to see Congress think through like the oversight board type category, like what sorts yeah. of decisions should be outside of companies and what sorts should be in them. What responsibility for transparency about their decision, you know, to give the conservatives yeah. a bone. If somebody is shadow banned or whatever, do they have a responsibility to disclose it? You could put a lot of reporting requirements on these companies and say, you have to be transparent about X, Y, and Z. You have to implement this process for this. Obviously, any rules like that then uh, sort of advantage the bigger players. You could set yes. some sort of threshold of market cap or users or something for who has to apply it. But I would just like a principles-based approach where our society actually th reckons with what it wants in social media and puts that into legislation. Isn't that, that's what government is supposed to be. We think about our values collectively and we articulate them through uh, I don't think people know what they want. I don't right. think people know what they want. Me neither. I mean, I'm not on social media. I think the politicians who who talk about this don't know what they want. But antitrust they, they is a lazy way to do it. Like antitrust is just we hate it. Boo. No, antitrust well, is not. No, no, no. Antitrust is we're going to make sure there's not a monopoly. Antitrust yeah. is we're putting Facebook in a position right now where it can't just keep on buying other companies. So other companies have the chance to rival Facebook. So then there can be market competition. That's not we hate Facebook. That is literally, we want there to be... There, yeah, but no, I think what motivates them is hatred of Facebook. No, it's literally, we don't want a monopoly. I mean, I guess you could say that, I guess you could say that they hated the big railroad companies. I mean, it's just saying, 
we want to have competition in this area of growth. And we don't want one company to be able to buy all of these smaller companies. I just think competition... Worrying about antitrust when you're about It was literally the Microsoft price. antitrust lawsuit that gave us Google. We wouldn't have had Google if there hadn't been antitrust regulation imposed on Microsoft. Like, that is the creation. That is why, that is why it's done, so that competition can create new and innovative companies that have the chance to become sure. large companies. I'm not saying I hate antitrust law overall, <laughs> but I think antitrust is a cop-out in terms of actually regulating Facebook and social media based on... Unless the thing you care about is whether or not they have a monopoly, in which case it is the actual right But I mean, tool. TikTok's huge, as we've been saying yeah. throughout this. Like, there's, we, I feel like there's the capacity to TikTok compete. is not an American company. Well, no, but I, I hear what Eric's saying. I, I do think there is a difference between one of the main goals of antitrust, which is that a, c- a concern with a monopoly is that they can do price fixing. And they could, you know, charge advertisers, you know, infinite amounts of money to reach people because they're the only outlet to reach people. Uh, Which is just not the, that is not the case. It's like Amazon became a, like Google antitrust, I'm much more supportive. Like Google behaves like a monopoly. Well, they own, they own the uh, rails and like what sits on top of it. That's the Google problem. But Katie, I actually would love to know what you think about Lena Khan's first big move as FTC chair trying to get Meta to not buy a tiny VR company. (laughs) That's what I was referring to earlier. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. You know, basically, it sounds like she's saying, well, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're telling us that this is really the future, and this is where all the money is going to be, and this is going to be the most important thing, well, then I need to let lots of different companies experiment in this area before you just buy them all. Because otherwise, all that's happening is you're umping the game. You've called the end. We know how it's going to how it's going to turn out, and you're ensuring that nobody else can reap any of the benefits but you. But Apple is a major competitor in this one. No, well, not yet, but they will be. But Katie, like, what is the? the I, I would love to know, like, the legal argument for we think this thing might happen. Therefore, based on antitrust grounds, is. What is what is the? I don't legal... know if it's, I don't know if we think it will. It's it's like it's like you the company told us. <laughs> you, yeah, but, you the but, company but told us. If the market is not what it is yet, but the regulation is being done because it may be become that. Like she mentioned the Clayton Act in her in the in the complaint where it was like we basically have to defend this under the Clayton Act, and my understanding of that is not. I, I don't really see how that applies to something like a tiny VR startup in a market that is is not monopolized or nor does it have like significant power. This is not like a powerful I guess market. The, I guess I'm getting my, and again, keep in mind, I'm not a lawyer, but I think that the piece of the Clayton Act that she'd be referring to would be the predatory piece. Probably. Not the, yeah, which is the basis of the Instagram and WhatsApp challenges, right? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not, t- time to embrace legal realism at this point. I feel like, <laughs> who cares? Like, have you watched anything happen in our society? Like, uh, Eric, that's very interesting. You can't be like, I want there to be, I want, yeah. you, you can't say, I want Congress to come up with a really rational articulation of what they want from social media and then later say, have you seen anything that's happening in our society? Why do we think this is going to happen? I'm saying that in line with my belief that there's legal, I'm just saying it's sad that we now live in a society where we can't use the legislature to actually formulate our views on social media, but we just whine about it all the time. And similarly, we live in a society where, yeah, like, the legal system is not values-based. I mean, to me, those those things are related. I'm not You're saying, saying antitrust law is not values-based. I'm saying a lot, uh, like the effect of the Microsoft decision. Microsoft 
antitrust prosecution basically failed, but it succeeded by just scaring the shit out of Microsoft and allowed people to compete. And that a lot of the actual antitrust politics are just power politics. And so whenever you're arguing about how are you allowed to do that, it's like, well, if she can do it for long enough that they're not able to acquire it, that's what matters more than some well, I, legal well, justification. Is that values-based or not values-based? I'm saying it's power, power-based. And is that a rather value Rather than or not? based in sort of some legal rationalization. I mean, couldn't you say that every law is that, Eric? Well, that would, that would be sort of like legal realism. But couldn't you say that like anti-discrimination laws, anti-hate crimes law, that the, um, you know, the Matthew Shepard, James Byrd anti-hate crimes law is simply that, scaring the shit out of people so they don't lynch people? I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, what do you think a law does? But the Lena Khan idea is to expand antitrust views as much as you can get away with. Like, I, I just think that's a fair view. Well, let's be like, let's be clear. She herself, Lena Khan herself said in one of her first interviews that I'm going to intentionally make do cases where I know that our odds of winning are incredibly slim to none, but I'm doing them to send a message. Totally. <laughs> right. Power. That's what and I'm I saying. Think, and, th- and I've heard people say the same thing. They're like, even if the Justice Department could never win a case against Trump, they should indict him to send a message. Right. It, it is exactly the contrast it's between a, how Merrick Garland seems to be behaving and Lena Khan. But do you think that the, Merrick Garland, Eric, do you think that the Justice Department should indict Donald Trump even if they think that they could lose before a jury of his peers? Even if they think that it's the right thing to do and that he did something wrong? Do you think that the department should indict Donald Trump if they think they could lose in a court of law? I'm guessing the answer is I'm guessing the answer if is no. If they think he can lose, it depends on percentages and what the case is. Mm-hmm. But I do think like Certainly, you want to think it's more likely than not you could convince somebody, right? I, I do think that's a reasonable. Well, some some people some people say that even if they had airtight evidence, very good evidence, and they could indict Donald Trump, that they would ultimately lose because the case would get appealed and it would never pass the appeals bench in D.C. No. or it would never well, pass. I, I certainly the court. don't agree with that. So at that point, should they indict him if he, if the chances are slim to none, they'll ultimately prevail. I think with antitrust specifically right now, when we're talking about, you know, citing the Clayton Act in order to explain the acts of 21st century companies, there's been, I know this is a very, you know, debated topic in in D.C. or among like antitrust lawyers. It is very difficult to find the exact perfect legal precedent in which you can explain the actions of a lot of these tech companies and how that falls into the typical umbrella of antitrust, which is that this is causing consumers harm because they can be price gouged, right? That is right. Like the core. This is Lena Khan's whole paper on Amazon. Right. And, and, and right. And so I think I, I actually have less issue with her taking a novel legal approach to, you know, filing cases against Facebook because it doesn't necessarily fit within, you know, historical precedents, but saying, look, let's try this out. Let's, let's see if we can get these arguments out there in the public and debated in a way that maybe the suit doesn't work, but it at least pushes things and the conversation, the legal conversation in a way that we can have an intelligent modernization of antitrust law that we all, I think, would agree that there is some issue with multi, you know, hundred billion dollar, trillion dollar companies having untrammeled power over the way they run their business and other small businesses uh, that, you know, the current system hasn't fixed. And so, yeah, Tom, I'm I'm coming around to this actually in that I think she will have an easier time defining market power, monopoly power with VR than she will with social media because Oculus is by far 
the VR industry. Like it is pretty much just Oculus. So if you want to have like a narrow market definition to try to argue monopoly power, she should be doing it in VR and not social media. And that's why I think the FTC's already had trouble with its big complaint, the suit about Instagram and WhatsApp and market definitions. They didn't even include TikTok in their market definitions for the Instagram WhatsApp challenge, which is insane to me. But yeah, I think the the VR side you could argue they're they're a monopoly, and so maybe they should. You know, if you could go back to like early App Store and make sure that Apple couldn't just leverage the App Store to become what it has, um, which they most certainly did. I, mm-hmm. the, there's no question. Then yeah, maybe you should do that. And if Mark Zuckerberg does think this is the next major computing platform, I just have a problem with like the like we think this might be a thing, therefore we're going to do this now. Yeah, it, uh, you got to like come up with the fact that this is a monopoly a and this thing. is a market. Yeah. You know? I, I understand but, that. But it could, it could happen. I mean, I think it's hilarious that this like government complaint is like talking about Beat Saber and how <laughs> they're trying to like define Beat Saber as a competitor to Supernatural and <laughs> they're just totally not. And it's just really funny to see them try to stretch this like idea. And it's of, like, interesting to- too, like antitrust is in some ways unique, but at the end of the day, especially around policy, these things do get changed. Like, our, our government positions and the way that laws operate and the way that things are regulated through laws are uh, through laws and courts often um, shift and change because people are willing to bring novel cases right. and stretch the law or try to move the law. So I, mm-hmm. we don't just see an antitrust. We see it with abortion, for example. We've seen it in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's unique. I don't think that what Lena Khan wants to do is necessarily incredibly unique. I mean, it because she did come out and say it, it upset a lot of people, but I think that we see it happening in all sorts of ways around other things. You know, people saying like, we're going to start bringing novel cases in states across right. the country because we want to yeah. bring a challenge to Roe versus Wade and get it to the Supreme Court so finally can, someone can finally help us figure out in this context, the 21st century, what we really think of this practice. We're going to bring a bunch of novel cases so we can get them finally to another litigate, you know, to another judiciary, but well, this case, again, the Supreme Court. So we can finally figure out what's, what schools should do around their admissions policies and race around voting rights, around, you know, election issues. Like it is not that unusual to say, it doesn't matter if we're going to win or lose. We want to bring the case to test it, to see what happens and to see where we get. Like, Lots and lots and lots of times this happens. I, I just wish, like, on other issues, the Democratic Party would lay out, like, what it wants, like, what the end state is. Like, we think app stores should have these I rules. Yeah. Or, like, like if they had legislation— but The Republicans are really good at it. They're like, we want to get rid of affirmative action. Right. So, this is the goal. These are the cases. We're going to lose exactly. for 25 years. Right. And they did lose for 25 years. But they're going to win now. Like, lay out what you want in legislation. And then if you feel like, okay, we can't pass this bill, but this is what we have all come together and said we want, use antitrust to get it. I'm like, okay, at least it's aligned with principles you've articulated. But I think the inability to articulate in legislation what they want reflects just how dumb and simplistic the thinking about social media is and then antitrust is being wielded. Sort it's of not that it's dumb; wildly. it's political. They don't want to say what is the real motivation of this, which is that like it's hatred of Facebook. Like it's you. You cannot tell me that out of all the monopoly antitrust concerns, Apple just kneecapped the digital ads <laughs> online ecosystem unilaterally. Right. With prompt more than any regulator has ever been able to like change how digital ads work. Apple just did it with a prompt. 
Um, I know Facebook worked on an antitrust lawsuit. They were about to file. Other companies have looked at it. This has pissed a lot of companies off. It's it's destroying small businesses. Like I, I'm working on a story about this. It's actually fascinating how like D2C brands can't advertise effectively anymore. Like it's their costs have gone so far through the roof because of Apple. So you want to talk about pricing power, platform power, there's Google, there's Apple, there's legitimate like monopolies that exist in the world today. I would love for our government to be focusing on those and not necessarily, I do think it's important to look to the future, but I think we have a lot to deal with in the present. And I think the yeah. fact that LenaCon's first big case was about a VR app that is a meta thing says a lot about just where the government, how the government feels about Facebook. Yeah, not and, I'm, how and, and it's not what the startup industry wants. And I'm either. sure that the regulators personally hated Andrew Carnegie, Rockefeller. Like you're right. There's all. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, these these things are often about power. And so, yeah. is there you know animus against some of these companies or people as the regulators are dealing with them? I'm sure if you read like a really great history of you know, U.S. Steel, you would totally see personal hatred of Carnegie motivating a lot, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, thanks, Heath. This was great. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, We'll see everybody everybody back here next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.